Welcome back to Money Talks. I've got a shocking stat for you. I've got a Goofy Award, my first inductee to the Money Talks Hall of Fame, Goofies. Right now, though, very pleased to welcome back to our show the author of so many great books, but my personal favorite that I get people who said, hey, can you recommend a book? It's called Mass Psychology by James Dines, but I started with The Invisible Crash years ago, uh, followed up with so many other, Gold Bug. The list is a long one. James Dines uh, joins me on the line right now, author, editor of the renowned Dines Letter. Jim, first of all, very much appreciate you finding time on the weekend, and what a great time for us. Uh, there's just so much going on, and, and maybe I should talk about all these questions as, what the heck, Jim's going on, but central bank manipulation, geopolitical uncertainty, economic slowdown, most of the world, China on the drop, commodity indexes down, uh, we come off the May high. So let me just start with asking you your broad perspective. Well, first of all, uh, it's a pleasure being on the show with you again, Mike, here in, from San Francisco. And uh, we're still, you know, warriors, the two of us. I've been in this show many times. But the, to me, the good news is the crash in war, raw materials. This is the biggest crash in commodities I've ever witnessed. But the better news is that when stock prices do hit bottom near these historic lows, raw materials will present the buying opportunity of a lifetime. Since the commodity top around 2012, all commodities have been down. Everyone's lost money on this, on these groups. But it wasn't noticed or reported in the world's mass media until just this last July and August. Yet the media is still not grasping that all commodities down, from antimony to rare earths, uranium, all of them. And you see, the economists can play tricks with numbers, but the commodities reflect economic reality. And their crash means that there is a deep economic decline going on, and it will end with a great buying opportunity. And that's what we're, we're gunning for. But when good mining stocks are selling for pennies, and I believe we're not far away from it, I... Uh, I find it curious, however, that golds and silvers are, have been moving with the commodities, uh, down with commodities, and uh, it's, it's, uh, of which they are not. They're monetary metals, and that's the real money. And gold, let's face it, early this, at the beginning of the century, gold rose for a dozen straight year, consecutive years, and the last few, it's had a normal 50, 30, 50 percent correction. And my recommendation on gold at $35 an ounce, that it would eventually rise to over $3,000 to $5,000 an ounce, still stands. We sold uh, silver a few years ago at $48 in writing in the Dines letter, and uh, we're after repurchasing it. And we still have targets over $100 an ounce. There's a tremendous bull market coming after this bottom. Furthermore, our old prediction, uh, you might remember, in the invisible crash was the coming competing currency devaluations. And finally, after all these years, it's happening. And I warned that after every country cuts interest rates to cheapen their currencies, you know, so they can get an export, export advantage, they will all eventually get down to zero, and like now. And I predicted that it would be a fool's race to the bottom. And that's exactly where we are now, and they have no idea what to do next. They've uh, suppressed interest rates down to zero. 
Uh, they've printed all the money that uh, that uh, they can they can possibly do. Uh, we've got a 19 trillion dollar deficit, uh, sorry, debt in America, which is unpayable because we can't even balance the budget, must much less pay it off. And um, I think that uh, as I will, as I'm uh, note in next week's Dimes letter, where, it's where we are right now. The interest rates are now the lowest in the last 3,000 years since the time of Hammurabi. Something, this is not going to work. Let me just come to a couple, you've got several things there. One of the things that you talked about that, so, as you say, maybe the media is not reporting it. We've certainly taken advantage of your advice on this, on Money Talks, that we're in this age of deflation. Uh, something that was uh, obviously very difficult for people to grasp after, you know, really for most of their adult life, they would have only thought about inflation. But clearly, that's what the commodity markets, your interest rate markets, that's proven you right in spades. So where do you see us in that deflation cycle now? Well, first of all, we need a semantic definition. The Everybody mm-hmm. uses the word, and not everybody, you don't, because you read my letter, but um, everybody else tends to read the word inflation as a, as a synonym of higher prices. They are not. You pick your dictionary up, you'll see that inflation is an increase in the money supply, the result of which can be an inflation that eventually goes into a deflation. This is obvious. And once you understand that, that you realize that these countries have been living off their inheritance. It was from oil and gas, iron ore, gold. They've been, but these industries have been hit very hard and that is the result of inflation. Canada has a big advantage with a cheap currency against the U.S. dollar, and that's going to be a big trade advantage. So I'm getting optimistic on the Canadian economy. But remember, the um, majority, my, my old uh, prediction of the coming great deflation, there's always been one after a great inflation. I mean a real inflation where they printed all this money. And after a while, they can keep printing until they're blue in the face. You still get a, a deflation. This is what happened in the 1920s. They doubled the money supply at the General Convention in 1922. This is not in the history books, by the way. You have to dig for it. I covered this in my Gold Bug book. But in 22, they doubled the uh, money supply. You had a great boom in the 20s and a normal deflation in the 30s. So my old prediction, uh, and, uh, plus, on top of that, uh, on top of the uh, unemployment and depressed prices of the 30s, which we're getting now, you have what I've been calling the coming age of robots. And uh, they're taking over more and more routine jobs. I've even got the restaurant industry the, uh, is being restructured, the taxi cab industry with Uber. Uh, the restaurants, you've got a new, uh, a new uh, restaurant chain here in San Francisco where it's automatic. You go in. And uh, there's a picture of food, and you put a coin. No, you don't. No coins, and no dishes, no waiters. You just uh, you just uh, hit your uh, your your cell phone, and and there it is. And this is what I've been warning again about the coming end of the age of jobs. There's a whole new social order coming. There's a huge restructuring going on in the world. Uh, and, of course, the implications are huge. I, can I come back to interest rates for a sec? As you just alluded to, sure. we're at 3,000-year lows. There's been this constant debate about whether the Federal Reserve is going to raise interest rates or not. I mean, it's not a, a, even on the agenda in Canada, uh, you know, at this point. But, you know, first of all, the Fed seems desperate to be able to get those rates back up a little bit. I mean, pension funds are getting killed. The list is a long one of uh, other repercussions other than what they want. So where, where do you stand on the interest rate? debate 
Well, first of all, what they're trying to do, the Fed is trying to create inflation, and the reason they're doing that is to wipe out the debt. That's what they've done in the past, but there's been an inflation then. Now we're in a deflation, so they're trying to create an inflation, and they're doing it with interest rates, but it's not working. And, and you know, inflation was our enemy just two years ago. So, I mean, these people are crazy. They're, they're, uh, this is a normal deflation, and, and the Fed is baffled as to why they can't get inflation up to 2%. Why 2%? I mean, where is that written? It's 2% because it's small enough so they can get away with it over time. But even more insane is this incredible attention to the Fed's increasing interest rates. Imagine, there are so many people discussing a change of a quarter of 1%. So many people ahead of, of, of states and the press, some of them even intelligent, about a one-quarter of 1% interest rate change. Who in their right minds would decide to borrow a large amount of money or lend them money over that small a change? Nobody. You change the channel when the mass obsesses over it. Just tune it out. These are the lowest interest rates, as I said, since Hammurabi, and this cannot end well. And that's what's happening. The, the, uh, the Fed is, is absolutely baffled. They have no idea what to do. They're desperate. And there's, a, there's a, uh, an election coming here in America uh, um, in one year, and all this stuff is going to be in the headlines. The, the, uh, the uh, candidates are going to be debate, debating it. This is a tremendous problem, and I, I, I just don't think that what I think should happen, if you want my opinion, mm-hmm. is, that, is that the government should not be touching interest rates. Who appointed, where is it in the Constitution that, that, the, that the government has to run interest rates? That's a socialist idea. Socialism has never worked. And uh, what should happen is they should abolish the Fed, and, which has been copied in all countries, and uh, which has corrupted their, their currencies also. Abolish the Fed and let the, let the interest rates fluctuate in the free market. And then fire all the people managing interest rates and get them an honest job, you know, maybe in a meat factory or something. I'm talking with Jim Dines. You can find him at www.dinesletter.com, D-I-N-E-S, dinesletter.com. I'm going to take a break. I come, uh, I come back. There's so much to get to, plus one group in the investment markets. I'll talk about the investment markets, the stock market side of it. But there's one group that uh, Jim has been, I mean, he's renowned for picking these bull markets in different sectors before they're even close to being on the radar screen. One he reminded us about uh, going back a couple of years. I'm going to get an update on that. So many other things to come with Jim Dines, right here across the Chorus Radio Network. Welcome back to Money Talks. Jim Dines is my guest. Find him at thedinesletter.com, author of uh, so many great books on the investing subject, an absolute pioneer in the world of technical analysis, uh, looking to understand and follow trends in stocks and commodities and in, in, uh, uh, currencies. The list is a long one. Uh, Jim, before the break, I said we'd come back. I want to come back to the stock market for a second here. Uh, you know, you've advised your clients that a good cash position was probably the way to go. I think that's proven correct. We've seen phenomenal volatility, uh, no upward progress since May. And, in fact, several groups have just taken an absolute kicking. If you get past the index for a second and look inside the market, several major groups, you alluded to commodities earlier, but several other groups have really taken uh, – tremendous declines and i just wanted to get your perspective now on the markets the stock side i mean sure uh well um 
my last uh, annual forecast issue uh, in January uh, uh, warned that this year the best investment would be cash, which was hard to make because everybody else was very bullish. But um, we had a sell signal um, last December, almost a year ago, and um, and since then the averages have turned flat for the first time in six after a six and a half year bull market. And uh, I've been warning that there was uh, we had to wait for either the upside or downside breakout, and we had the uh, we had the we had the downside breakout. It was right after our sell, an additional sell signal uh, on August 19th, uh, one day before the before the uh, smash, and the violence of it means that it was a, a downside breakout. And since then, we're getting a normal uh, a normal uh, breakout pullback and. Um, uh, if if this does not keep going and make a new all-time high, we should then move down below the August lows. And I think that we need to keep track of this because the averages are one thing and individual stocks are another. We've been getting a big disconnect in the markets. Um, many people have had a terrible time in the market no, this year because individual groups are down. Um, and they pick them off one at a time. The latest ones have been uh, the biotechs. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've been absolutely crushed lately. And then junk bonds are in a crash, and uh, both of which I've been bearish on. So I think this is a good time to be conservative. And um, uh, if there's a new low below, below the August low, that's the one to watch. And uh, aside from raw materials, the question again is uh, who's going to be next? Uh, you know, time is always so short. If you allow me, I want to jump to one group. Uh, you've had a tremendous track record in identifying groups before uh, they became mainstream uh, into b- uh, major bull markets. One that you told us about a couple of years ago, and I was smiling this week because October is Cybersecurity Month, Awareness Month. <laughs> Clearly, uh, you know, Scott's Trade just announced they had 4.6 million clients who, uh, you know, have their data breached. Right. Uh, I, I think the, the company's name Experian, which uh, right. 15 million people, there's the people applying for credit for, uh, you know, some cell phone stuff. But the list is a long one. U.S. government, uh, you know, in several areas, you know, China's uh, been mentioned in all of this. But bottom line is you brought this to our attention two years ago. And I just wanted you to give us an update on that area. Absolutely. I think this is going to be one of the big bull, uh, biggest bull markets of all. Uh, you might recall when I became the original uh, Internet bug in the uh, Dines letter in, uh, of uh, June 1996, I think it was, um, I made uh, many ancillary predictions along with it. I said, I, in fact, I said it on your show also, yeah. I said the Internet would be the greatest invention since the Gutenberg printing press and have a huge impact on the world. But I also, which of course has come true, but I also said it would be vulnerable to viruses and that security would be impossible. And that is the vulnerable of, uh, vulnerability of it. And I'm prepared to make the prediction that the Internet is, is, is doomed. It cannot work the way it is. It's, uh, it's absolutely uh, impossible to protect in this day of ages of super, age of supercomputers and, and some kid in the Ukraine uh, and snowed in working... Uh, day and night can hack anybody anywhere in the world. Uh, basically, the world has is, uh, is all the locks are off the front door, the front doors, and um, because of that, there's going to be a boom in security uh, for the moment uh, until at least we get quantum computers, which is not yet. 
uh, everyone, anyone with a computer or anyone using the internet should assume that you're going to wind up. You could wind up on the front page of uh, of something. And take for example, um, the uh, you mentioned, of course, uh, Scott Trade, which is quite correct. And uh, they actually ha- hackers also attacked the Pentagon's uh, top offices uh, around July 25th. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, and worse than that, the Office of Personnel Management. This was the big ship. In fact, uh, this is the the most shocking one of all. Uh, somebody hacked 21 million uh, names out of the uh, the personnel management part of the U.S. government. They got all the names of all the government workers, their fingerprints, their security codes, their life history, because they all had to fill out a form. Uh, Everything that might embarrass them or that they were ashamed of, their secret desires. So they're vul- So these names were taken. At first, the government said it was only four million names, which was of course a lie. But it came out to be 21 million. There are probably more. And all the spies uh, we have in the world uh, have been vu- made vulnerable to blackmail or um, uh, or uh, or assassination. I mean, it's just the biggest thing. And, I, and in the Dines letter, I called it America's Pearl Har- second Pearl Harbor. To me, this was an act of war, and uh, nothing was done. They can't prove who did it. Uh, China denies it. Uh, and I'm just pointing out to all of my subscribers, and I hope anybody else listening, watch what you put on the Internet. And there's one way to foil it. The best way to, to stop these guys is called a courier. Put it in writing. Hand it to somebody to deliver to somebody. And don't give anybody a chance to pick up anything uh, anything about, like, a, like blueprints for a new weapon or something. They're crazy to put it on the Internet. Can I, Jim, can I hold you at that just for a sec? Can I, I know I, I've, I've asked you, can I ask you to stay just a couple of minutes longer? I'd love to get your final thoughts. I've got a shocking stat and a Goofy Award. My first inductee into the Goofy Hall of Fame is coming up. But right now, uh, Jim Dine, the Dine letter thedinesletter.com. Jim, I apologize for keeping you longer than I had said. I appreciate you taking the time, but I wanted to get your final thoughts before I let you go. Yeah, the final thought is this. I think that uh, the stock to buy, I think the best company, the old, the old uh, security companies are, are no good, obviously, because they've been, uh, they've been, uh, uh, because hacking is flourishing. Pa- uh, Palo Alto Networks is the best company, but it's too high priced. And I'll be covering other ones, uh, lower-priced ones in my annual forecast issue but, uh, upcoming. But I'd like to say now, for the meantime, keep this thought in mind. Rich or poor, it's good to have a lot of cash. And you can <laughs> quote me on that. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that sums up the kind of environment we're in right now. And it is interesting because you have warned your subscribers uh, for a lo- about 10 months and especially aggressively uh, you know, into the new year that this would be a time for cash. Cash is an investment decision. And uh, cash, for example, as you alluded to right off the top, is buying you a heck of a lot more in the commodities markets, buying you more oil than it did a year ago. So, uh, you know, cash is a very uh, important component uh, uh, in the Dines letter at this point. Well, that's right. As stocks, other stocks go down, that cash grows in buying power. And, uh, and instead of buying, people are buying these bonds paying 1% or less. These junk bonds, uh, they call them high-yield bonds now. Um, uh, they're crazy. I mean, paying this much, uh, paying this much for a bond that can't grow and is vulnerable to inflation someday is is just a big mistake. I think this is a good time to be conservative, 
and make sure you've got some cash. Get ready for a great buying opportunity somewhere ahead of us. Jim Dines, author of The Dines Letter. Also, as as you know, I recommend the book. Uh, You know, Goldbug is terrific. Uh, There's just so many. The Invisible Crash is an absolute classic. Uh, you know, just so many books to uh, have a look at. Uh, my much thanks to Jim Dines for joining us today. Thank you, Jim. You're very welcome, Mike, and I wish you good luck. You're still the best reporter I know of in Canada. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Time now for this week's uh, shocking stat of the week. Obviously, I talked with Michael Levy earlier about this today, the tra- uh, Trans-Pacific Trade Partnership. Uh, here's a couple of numbers for you. 18,000 tariffs on goods coming into Canada. In other words, 18,000 goods would be less expensive except for we've put on tariffs to make them more expensive for you, the consumer. In the States, the issue is even greater. 19,500 tariffs in the States on goods coming into the U.S. The bottom line is when you remove tariffs, unequivocally, the consumer benefits unequivocally the consumer benefits. Now, here's the other interesting thing, because I've already seen a ton of nonsense. If people looked at the existing uh, literature, for example, there's a research paper called Measuring the Unequal Gains from Trade by Pablo Fagelbaum, and I think it's Amit uh, Candlewall, again, showing very clearly that the biggest gainers from this kind of removal of tariff are low-income families and individuals, unequivocal. It makes sense. Right now, our own milk marketing and supply management is costing us $300 per family a year. Well, if you're uh, skilled enough, talented enough uh, to have been making, you know, say $100,000 a year, well, obviously that $300 is not near as pressing as it is if you're in a low-income household. So it makes total sense that when you remove tariffs, the price of goods come down. Obviously, the impact is going to be felt far more greatly by low-income individuals and families. What's incredible, again, in all the debate you hear, the consumer is rarely mentioned in it. It's, it's The consumer takes you, the consumer, are taking a back seat to other very vested interests. I'll take a break. I'll come back. Ozzy Jurek's with me. Hey, another report this week about how high Vancouver real estate is, and it's going to be interesting when you hear a couple of aspects of that. Victor Dare, live from the trading desk, and my first inductee into Money Talk's goofy Hall of Fame coming your way. Depending on what market you're in, you heard an ad there. Boy, a Canadian's concerned about change. My goodness, that was factually incorrect on a number of issues. It's interesting to see in the election campaign where, let's say you had a, a drug addict, and uh, you were helping them in recovery, the the political spin on that would be he feels worse than he ever has before. Unbelievable. Anyways, no, it's believable. What am I talking about? That's exactly how we run politics here. One party misleads another, overstates uh, the list. Every party does it, but uh, some parties are better at it than others. Ozzy Jurek joins me on the line right now, just in advance of our Hall of Fame first goofy inductee. Ozzy, I just saw a report out of Bloomberg that's talking about, uh, it's amazing that Vancouver is, uh, what, the most expensive real estate market basically in uh, in the world. I guess it's us in Hong Kong, is it? Uh, the list is just, it's unbelievable. Most, exp- uh, most expensive city in North America, but second in the world. Yeah, it, it is amazing, particularly when Bloomberg says, though, that it's costly. 
And the rich Chinese take the blame, which is uh, which sort of an interesting spin. But certainly at the World Outlook Conference, Mike, that's what I mentioned for four years, that we have two kind of markets in Vancouver, the very rich and everybody else. <laughs> and then and, and inside, we have two products, the single family and the condo. It's not all of it is, is, is that way, but a lot of it is that way. Yeah, but that's a key point, a key distinction, because our debates talks of this, it's a, a homogenous kind of real estate market out there when we talk affordability. Actually, you know, when you look at the record low interest rates compared to entry level, it's probably easier right now on a monthly basis to take an entry-level condo than it was, say, at the height of the market, uh, you know, with interest rates, as an example. But it's very clear that what we're seeing, and, and something we have pointed out in this show for years, that what you look at is capital movement. Capital gets moved simply because of lack of confidence, especially in government. And yes, there's been a lot of money moving out of uh, China into the upper end. It's looking for safety. We've seen it in New York, where the Chinese are the number one buyers of 10 million plus. We've seen it in London and in spades it's so blatant and yeah and as we've chronicled on this show at the upper end three million plus we watched vancouver join cities like melbourne uh, toronto also sydney as that sort of second choice and it looks like vancouver may be moving to first choice well the interesting thing is too that it's almost now moving elsewhere because we just did a little research on the east side east side is now more expensive than new york can you believe it i mean it's getting crazy and east vancouver detached house price went up 24 percent this past year and is increasing about 20 to 30 thousand a month and that benchmark price at 1.1 million and, and on main street it's going to be 1.3 million and that's an area we've recommended for six years, but I never expected this kind of an increase because that puts the average price higher than central New York City, which, by the way, is 3% down this year. But we're talking about the richest, most powerful city in the world. There's more than 8.5 million residents, and East Vancouver has a median income of 60,000 or only 300,000 residents. Well, I, again, and I don't see this trend stopping. Uh, why? Because I don't see the geopolitical turmoil stopping. I don't see the lack of confidence in what's going on in China stopping immediately. And so money's going to want to move and look for safety. And real estate is one of the choices. Uh, you know, upper end real estate is one of the choices to park money uh, for safety's sake. I mean, it's a question I get from regardless of what asset somebody has. And that is, where can I put my money that it's safe? Yeah, and that's, I was listening with interest to Jim Dines, where he talks cash is a, is a good thing. And there are sometimes, that you look at some warning signs out there. We are, we are trying to hold our subscribers uh, safe, and nothing goes up forever, Mike. I mean, you and I have been through, uh, through great increases over the last 15 years, but not in a straight line. We have seen declines. And some warning signs out there are that immigration to BC is now down, down about 65% in the first half of this year. That's that's quite an impact. Mortgage regulations are much tighter. And government will, I'm sure, bring in foreign buyer taxes or controls of some sort. So it's time to be cautious out in this crazy market. Yeah, there's oh boy, there's so much talk. It's always frightening uh, when we want the politicians involved. You've got to be very careful of this. There's some, you know, unintended consequences. Uh, Ozzy, let's go to the hot property. Yeah, well, with these crazy Vancouver prices, I thought we'll make, I'll give you a feel good deal because there's still great single family homes available. Four bedrooms, three bathrooms, built in 2006, double carport, only 179.9. Unfortunately, that's in Phoenix. 
<laughs> so there you go. You can find the hot properties by just going to www.jurek.com, and he's got a hot property button. That's a four-bedroom, three-bath at 179.9 in Phoenix. Ozzy, thanks for taking the time. Have a terrific Thanksgiving weekend. Thank you so much, and I'm most thankful at this beautiful weekend for my family, my friends, and all these wonderful listeners of CKNW. I echo that. Uh, Take a break. I'll come back. Victor Adair and a Goofy Award, my first inductee into the Goofy Hall of Fame. A reminder, you can go to moneytalks.net. You can re-listen to Jim Dines if you want to, or Michael Levy, uh, Ozzy Jurek, uh, Victor Adair. Go to moneytalks.net. Some great articles this weekend. Clear signs that the great derivatives crisis has begun. Uh, Michael Schneider's writing there. Holy hell about to break loose. Larry Edelson. Uh, Jim Rogers is writing, I would not be buying U.S. real estate. So all of that kind of stuff. But go to moneytalks.net, and I invite you to listen to the business comment and see which ones I'm getting in trouble for this week. But go to the business comment. Uh, you can click on. You can hear my midweek interview on a variety of uh, economic and investment subjects. And, of course, as I say, re-listen to Money Talks or listen to it anytime you like. That's moneytalks.net. Victor Dare joins me live from the trading desk. Now, Victor, I mean, come on. We've been seeing this huge kind of volatility, but this time to the upside, especially, you know, reversals, and it doesn't matter if we're talking about uh, you know, commodities, we're talking about currencies, uh, you know, great week in the stock market this past week. Look at crude oil. It's bouncing up. Bottom line is this. Is this a reversal in trend we're seeing? We are seeing a short-term reversal in a trend after a, a very sharp uh, decline. Uh, but I think that this is just a bounce. And mm-hmm. uh, the way I look at that is let's just use the example of crude. Uh, we fell to a low of $38, just below $38 on August 24th. That's, uh, you know, we were four days into a 2,000-point decline on the Dow Jones on August 24th. Since then, we've had crude <clears throat> bounce back up to just above 50 bucks. That's a gain of about 30%. I mean, for a lot of people, if you could pick up a 30% return in a couple of weeks, you'd say, that's pretty good. Uh, I'm thinking that this bounce off the low in crude or in the commodity currencies, or in emerging market currencies, uh, is, in fact, just a sharp bounce, and that we will turn lower again. Um, Okay, so how do you translate that into what you're doing in the market, say your short-term trading? Yeah, for my short-term trading, I think maybe the last two weeks when you and I were talking on air here, I probably sounded a little like, uh, you know, I'm not sure what's going on here. We were having tremendous volatility. I was trying to make sense of it. And so when I'm in that sort of frame of mind, I get to cash. I I don't need to be a hero. And this past week, I have used this sharp rally in the currencies, the sharp rally in the commodities, off of, let's call it, oversold lows as an opportunity to put my toe back in the water. I've taken small, short positions in the Canadian dollar, which is up three cents from where it was uh, 10 days ago, uh, in against crude oil, which is up, as I say, 30% from where it was a couple of weeks ago, and also in gold, which I think gold has been struggling. Now, here's what I do. I've got an opinion. I take a small position. If I'm wrong, and this market actually did make a major turn and we carry on higher, I get out and take a little loss. But if I'm right and these markets roll over, as I anticipate, then I will look to add to those positions and add other positions uh, in, in line with that kind of thinking. Uh, you know, one of the things very quickly, Vic, that we talk about all the time is we're trading central bank policy. Um, yeah. 
I don't see any change in central bank policy. In fact, uh, you know, the, the prospect of an interest rate increase, for example, by the Fed seems even far, far more diminished than it was even a month ago. I think we have been trading the anticipation of central bank policy, and it has changed. I think the change has been that uh, over the, let's say, the market has been expecting the Fed to start to raise interest rates, but now we've had a change all the way around where there's now speculation that the Fed may start to cut interest rates or take other stimulative measures, and I think that change has has got at the support. The key support for the bullish U.S. dollar argument was that the Fed was going to be tighter than the other central banks. Since markets go, wait, wait a second, maybe that's not happening. They've been repositioning. There have been huge short positions in commodities and currencies. Some of those positions have been unwound and have caused this rally of the past two weeks. I think that little route is going to run out of steam. That's how I'm betting. Well, we'll be here to chronicle all of it. Victor, go out and have a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. Thank you, Michael, and you too, and your family. My thanks to Vic. My thanks, of course, to Ozzy Jurek, to Jim Dines, uh, to Michael Levy. Uh, Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a royalty-based investment. means you get paid first. There's no fees. It's in the tech sector. Get more information by going to soleraclub.com. Time now for my first inductee to the Money Talks Goofy Hall of Fame. Hillary Clinton is now the official world record holder of individual Goofy Awards. In a world of idiotic statements, dishonest politicians, hey, come on, it's the world of Kim Kardashian and Paris Hilton, a world of bureaucrats run amok, and the politically correct police. But Hillary still stands head and shoulders above the rest. Whether it's the current email scandal, uh, Wall Street Journal's Kimberly Strassel, Uh, says that, in quotes, pretty much every claim Ms. Clinton's made at her initial March news conference and since then has proven to be false. Uh, As her testimony on how she miraculously made 100,000 trading in the futures market without a single loss and then decides never to trade again. Uh, From the completely false claim of being under gunfire upon landing in Bosnia uh, to her grandparents all being immigrants. Ms. Clinton displays a, a, you know, a very casual relationship with the truth that puts her in hot water regularly. But again, it gets her top spot and the first inductee into the Goofy Hall of Fame. So, without further ado, let's get to this week's installment of Hillary's How Do You Like Me Now? Once again, trying to stop the erosion of support to the self-avowed socialist senator, Bernie Saunders, for the uh, uh, Democratic's uh, presidential nominee, he came out against President Obama and the Trans-Pacific Trade Deal. Point number one, she hasn't read the deal. Point number two, She had a large role in negotiating this deal as Secretary of State. Point number three, and why she's so deserving of this goofy. CNN put up a a list of 45 different times in which the Secretary of State spoke approvingly of the accord, which, as I say, she was negotiating. This is the one you're hearing most often in quotes. The TPP sets the gold standard in trade agreements to open free trade, transparent, fair trade, the kind of environment that will rule of law and level the playing field, end of quote. I mean, there's uh, no shortage of those examples, as they say, 45 different ones trotted out by uh, CNN. You know, it's incredible to see how inauthentic she is, how she flips with the wind. Sure, she's in a business where you see a lot of that, but my gosh, she is the champion of that. And again, what's it about? Trying to take support from Bernie Saunders because he's nipping at her heels in the race for the Democratic nomination. Hey, it's a Thanksgiving weekend. And I am thankful to Ms. Clinton for reminding me how lucky I am to be Canadian and have decent people like Thomas Mulcair, Justin Trudeau, Stephen Harper, Elizabeth May, all campaigning to lead our country. 
You may disagree with their views, but I'll tell you, you've lost respect if you don't appreciate that they're all decent people. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. Go to moneytalks.net. Thanks for listening.